Well, good morning again. The question I have for you is uh, to start off this morning was, when was the last time you were perplexed by something? Maybe, yeah, three minutes ago, was that something? There was, a, there was a question or an issue that you were mystified by. Uh, there's a, a subject matter that was uh, baffling you and you were wrestling with. When was that last time? Can you think of that issue or that? Or how about this? When was the last time a person was perplexing to you? Thanks, Jodadai. I appreciate that. That's uh, oh, fine. Okay. Um, I think that on a regular basis, at least she tells me, I perplex my wife. Right? Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's a bad, right? When was the last time you were perplexed by something spiritual, something sacred, something of God or the faith or perhaps a scripture? Maybe this morning for some of you. We are starting a new series that we're calling Image Maker, Facing Your Soul, somewhat of a perplexing title, I hope. And this whole series is based on a particular scripture that I have found perplexing for actually quite a long time. And, and have pressed into that and, and have wrestled with that and, and what does this mean and what significance does it have for us. That, that passage of scripture comes from Galatians. The apostle Paul is speaking to the Galatian church and I think we can apply it to ourselves. He says this, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. I think that's interesting. The Apostle Paul is perplexed by the Galatian Christians. But the perplexing part to me is that phrase, until Christ is formed in you. And, and that just seems to, to scream that, the, that there's, a, in one sense, okay, I get it. In another sense, maybe I, I don't get it. That there seems to be this depth. What does he actually mean when, when he is saying, Christ is formed in you. And he cares so much about it that probably, I don't know if you're perplexed women by him using the analogy of childbearing since he's a, a guy, but he's, he's going for something that he wants to communicate the depths of his agony and his pain. And he's saying, yes, I am in pain until Christ is formed in you. This is perplexing personally, and then also pastorally to me. Personally, it's because not only am I wondering what does that actually mean and, and should I be more in the pains of childbirth 
for me in terms of the, the important things in my life that, that I focus in on, that I pray for, like, like my family and my marriage, like my, the, the church and the ministries of the, the, the church, all those things, does Christ being formed in me personally Am I in agony for that to happen in my life personally? And then pastorally, obviously, Paul is weighing in on here, and he is not saying, I am praying diligently until you get a building and build. He's not saying, I am, I am praying and I'm in pain until you raise that extra missionary support to send to the missionaries you've sent out or back to Jerusalem. He's not, he's, he's not even saying, I, I'm in agony until you're sharing your faith like I've taught you to do it. Of all the things that he could be in agony over, he's in agony over until Christ is formed in the lives of of the Galatian church. And do I share that same agony as your pastor for you? See how perplexing that is? So I, uh, in this series, I knew that this was gonna be somewhat of a challenging series asking you to think deeply with me and I wanted to be ahead of the game a little bit, and usually I don't even start on the message or studying for the message until Tuesday, but I had put in a little advanced work, so by Tuesday morning, I had my nice little outline all ready to go. I was like gonna give it to Natalie, and she was gonna be really surprised and impressed, right? <laughs> And then I was praying with a group of Kingdom Life community leaders in preparation of our launch of our, our KLCs. And as we were praying, and we were praying a psalm, we were, we were praying just, just completely different, this story from Scripture popped into my head. And I felt like the Lord was giving that for this Sunday's message and I didn't really know, remember where the story was from. I vaguely remembered who it involved. And I had no idea what any connection it had to do with until Christ is formed in you. And I was like, really? What? Where is that story? Is that, is that indigestion? Is that the spirit? I was unsure. And so we were walking out, and actually Jedediah and Brittany were there, and we were processing, and I just kind of as a side note, I said, boy, I felt like the Lord gave me this story, and actually I was hoping Jedediah would be like, yeah, that makes no sense, that you just move on, stay with your outline, but instead, he's like, that's great, where is that? I'm going to use that for my worship. I'm like, hey, I don't know if I'm going to use that yet. He's like, no, you should. I was like, mental note don't bring these things to Jedediah. <laughs> See, we're learning to work with one another. What, what to do that? So I, I found the story, I read it, and I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to make you a deal. I'll, I'll include this in the message, but if it is totally confusing, then I'm blaming you, Jesus. <laughs> and if I go too long, I'm blaming you, Jesus. Jesus. 
So that's the deal that we've made, okay? You ready for that? So this, this story that, that seems perplexing in and of itself is found in the book of Daniel. If you'd like to turn there, uh, please use your table of contents. And the, uh, the book of Daniel is wonderful stories. Many of us know these stories from um, Sunday school, right? So uh, you've got the, the statue, and Daniel's friends won't worship the statue, and they're thrown in the fiery furnace. That, that's not the, the story we're going to use. Daniel's insistence that, that he would pray and continue to worship the one true living God, and he's thrown in the... We all know that, but that is not the story we're going to use. This story is much less, I never remember this story in Sunday school. I didn't grow up with this one. This story, it's, it's rather long, so I'm going to give a summation the first part of chapter 4, if you turn with me there. And so, actually, this is a reflection. And King Nebuchadnezzar writes a letter to all the peoples, his vast kingdom. And he tells the story, tells the story of a dream, of a large tree that touches the sky. And it's a vast tree um, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit and, and, and the birds are in the, in, in the branches and all the animals are sheltered by that and they're fed by the tree and he has this vision. And then as he's having this vision, a messenger from heaven comes and announces, cut the tree down. So they cut down the tree, but leave the stump with its roots. And Nebuchadnezzar wakes up, and he is afraid. So he calls his magicians and his wise men and all of them, and they come, and he says, this is my dream. Tell me what it means. They have no idea. So he knows he's got Daniel, right? And so he calls Daniel and tells Daniel the dream, and literally, uh, chapter 4, verse 19, it says, Daniel is perplexed. It was one of the indications that the Lord, this was from the Lord to me. He's perplexed because he knows that the meaning of this dream is not very good news for King Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, boy, I wish this was for the enemies, your enemies. And so he says, King Nebuchadnezzar, this dream, you are the tree. And your kingdom is big and vast. And all the peoples are coming and being fed from that. And you're going to be judged. And you're going to be knocked down. And essentially, he says, you're going to lose your mind and you're going to become one of the animals. And then he says, can I give you a little bit of advice? And that's where we'll pick up the story in verse 27. It says, therefore, your majesty, King Nebuchadnezzar, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity 
will continue. He's hoping that if the, the king repents, that this would not come true. So then we read the story. Again, this is really in a letter from King Nebuchadnezzar to his subjects. It says, and this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the, uh, later, God gave him 12 months to repent, perhaps, to change his life. As the king was walking on the roof of his royal palace in Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice from heaven came. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from your people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by you until you acknowledge the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Probably seven times means seven years. Verse 33, immediately what, he, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from his people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. It's a little prodigal son-ish, isn't it? He raises his eyes towards heaven. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion and his, eter his eternal dominion, his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the people of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and my splendor were, were returned. And to me, for the glory of my kingdom, my advisors and the nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, Praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. What does that have to do with Christ being formed in you? Yeah, I don't know. I just don't really... As I pondered that and, and wrestled through that, I was thinking about part of the purpose, some, uh, some Bible scholars will argue that, that Daniel isn't just about Daniel's journey or his friend's journey or, or about the nation of Israel and the restoration of Israel, but it's also about Nebuchadnezzar. And it's how at least the spiritual journey, his spiritual journey is included in that story. And I began to think about Nebuchadnezzar. I want to invite you to do that with me and think about his spiritual formation. Would you think about who he is and what he represents 
in this story. In a certain way, he represents all of us, you and me, in that he was, he is, was a human being created in the image and the likeness of God. And he shares in that story, in that part of our identity. It's called the imago Dei, Latin for image of God. So God's Genesis 1:27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. Theologians have really debated what does that mean that every single human being has been created in the image and the likeness of God. There's a, for sure a mystery that is discussed, but um, let me just give you a few words to, to help us along. One is that we're creating the image of God includes some idea of attributes, some divine attributes and likeness, that, that God has some attributes that are just about him, right? That his sovereignty, he alone is sovereign, that he is the creator and therefore is all-powerful and all-present, right? We don't share that likeness, but there are some attributes that we share with God, and, and that's where the theologians have said, yeah, like the ability to uh, reflect and meditate, the, the ability to reason, the ability to, to show a deep and abiding compassion and empathy, empathy for others, the ability to sacrifice deeply. There's some attributes that, that say an animal and an ox would not share. But that when we live those attributes of reason, of compassion, of deep and abiding sacrificial love, that, that those are the attributes that we share with God if we're human beings, Nebuchadnezzar. Also, for each and every person, Nebuchadnezzar represents us, not just the attributes, but the activity. This might be surprising to some of you. That when we were created way back when, we were not only created in the likeness with some attributes, but then he said, I am going to place you over all the rest of creation. That I'm going to give you dominion. I'm going to make you the steward. That we would represent God to creation. So as we steward, as we exercise dominion over creation, we are acting and living in the likeness of God. Do you understand? With me? Okay. Now, also, Nebuchadnezzar represents us that we were created in a particular order of creation. So you have the the elements of creation that were going to sustain life. You've got the ocean and the earth, right? The sky, the sun, the moon. You've got the elements, that, that's foundational. Then you have what next in the story of creation? You've got living things to live in those elements. The birds, uh, the animals, all of those. Then as the crown jewel of creation, believe it or not, you and me. 
right? We were, we were set up. You've got the elements of creation. You've got the animals and the birds, the living creatures. You have you and I as the crown jewel. David was reflecting on our place in creation when he says Psalm 8 and, and the Hebrews author in Hebrews 2, 6 and 7, he quotes David. David was saying, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, God? A son of man that you care for him. You made them, listen for the order, a little lower than the angels. And you crown them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. So you have that order of creation, that sense of the elemental things, the living creatures, humans. And then you have the, in the spiritual realms, angels, and then God is over all. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Because you've got to be with me if we're going to understand how this all works together. Yes, I see a few head nods. Okay, yes. Let me ask you this question. What was the primary sin in Nebuchadnezzar that God was addressing? Pride, absolutely, said at the very end of the chapter. And not just pride, look at verse 30. Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence my, by my mighty power for the glory of my majesty? He wasn't just prideful. He thought he was divine, right? He, he thought he was throwing some deity swag around. He was... He was feeling good about himself. Never pray that, by the way. The things aren't going to go well for you if you pray that. How did God, second question, how did God punish him? He didn't just take his splendor, his, his kingdom away. He took his dignity. Another way to say it is he diminished his humanity. He made him like the animals. He stopped living in the likeness and the image of God. He stopped living the attributes and the activities of God. In fact, one uh, uh, that would be look at verse thirty-two again. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. He loses his mental capacities, the attributes of reason, compassion, and sacrificial love. He loses his dominion and his divine activity. One commentator put it like this. Having portrayed himself as superhuman, he became subhuman. Having set up his own statue to be worshipped, earlier in Daniel, as the image of a god, he forfeited life as the image of God 
the last remnants of true glory. Starting to make sense? Um, I was watching a Netflix movie the other week, uh, The Highwaymen. Have any of you seen that? That would, it was an intriguing movie, and it's about Bonnie and Clyde, but not from Bonnie and Clyde's perspective. It's from the perspective of the men who brought them down. In fact, Kevin Costner and Woody Harrelson play uh, former Texas Rangers and highwaymen that go after them. And it's fascinating because there's dramatic intentionality to tell the story without romanticizing or glamorizing Bonnie and Clyde. And in some ways, they, they were, while they were on the run by our nation, and in the retelling of, of the story many times, they're glamorized. And, and the goal of this telling was to give a different perspective. And there's some riveting scenes in the, in, that, that communicates. That one scene is, is uh, Bonnie walks up, and you haven't really seen her that much, and there's a guy that they shot who's dying on the road, and she turns him over with her heel. She says, hi, sweetie. And then blows him away. And then there's a friend that, uh, a young man who's a friend with Bonnie and Clyde who grew up with them. And the highwayman, Kevin Costner, says, they are not the same people that you grew up with. He's trying to get it in your head that these folks are killers. At one moment, the highwaymen are standing over a murder victim, and they're replacing, retracing their steps, and Kevin Costner says, they're animals. See what they were doing? They were, they were saying that, that when we sin, when, when we do things that violate how we've been made, then we are diminishing our humanity. And yet the reverse is true. When we live as God has created us to live, as we live as image bearers in the attributes that we have been given, in the activities that we've been given, then we're becoming more fully human. Some of you are familiar with the quote by Alexander Pope, to err is human and to forgive is divine. Have you heard that one? I'd say not exactly. You see, we often associate sin with being human. I associate sin with a fallen human condition. But to be truly human, to live in the divine attributes that we've been made in, is to be more fully human. To err is part of the fallen human condition. To forgive is to be truly human. Yes? All right, we're almost there. Until Christ is formed in you. Jesus, why did you give me an Old Testament story if we're talking about you in that? Well, let's 
piece that together. There's two scriptures that I uh, want us to look at. And here's a phrase. It's in your bulletin. I want you to remember this phrase. Jesus came for a number of reasons. But in a very profound and grand sense, Jesus came to make us more fully human. Jesus came to make us more fully human. One scripture is a continuation of the thought of Hebrews. Remember he said, he's reflecting on Psalm 8, he says, you've made us humanity a little lower than the angels. Then he goes on and he says this in verse 9. He says, but we do see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for a little while. Now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. What is he talking about with that? He's talking about the incarnation. He's talking about when Jesus, in a sense, goes from the created and in that mystery enters into humanity a little lower than the angels. He becomes human. It's the gospel. And he lives it perfectly. Did Jesus ever sin? So did he diminish humanity in any way? He lived. He, he was alive to what it means to be fully human. He came and lived perfectly as the image bearer. How we were created to live in the very first moments of creation. Jesus, then, is the perfect image. Look at Romans 8.29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image or likeness of a son. Wait, I thought we were supposed to, we were made in the image of God. Why does he say image of our son? Because Jesus lived perfectly in the image of God. Because now the image of the son is the image and the likeness of God in which you and I were called to live in. That to live, to allow Christ to be formed in us is to live as image bearers that we were created to live. To, to allow Christ to be formed in us is to take a hold again of the attributes of God, the likeness of God that we were filled and formed in, but because of our sin, fell so far short from. But in redemption, we can break the power of that sin and begin to recover the image in which we are called to live in now. I really hope that silence is comprehension and depth 
and not confusion. King Nebuchadnezzar was the extreme example of the diminishment of our humanity, of sin, especially pride, removing and making us less human. Quite literally, he is made an animal or like an animal. None of those mental capacities, none of that activity. All right, I'm going to give this analogy to you. See if it works. David didn't like this analogy. It wasn't helpful to him, but it's okay. He's David. So I'm hoping that it goes. All right. Now think of the stained glass window. Now I want you to think of yourself as a stained glass window. Um, Ephesians 2.10 talks about God creating you, and you are his his piome, his masterpiece. He's, he's knit you together in such a way, okay? Now, I happen to find an app titled Stained Glass Me. So you can find a picture, take a picture of yourself and form yourself in a stained glass window. Does that sound kind of cool? Have you seen the aging app that's happened? All right. And so... Some of you are friends of Facebook with me, right? I got some of your pictures for Facebook. Some of you are nervous right now, aren't you? I pulled your, and I, I looked for the most embarrassing pictures I could find, of course, because that's really fun. And I put it through the stained glass me, and let's see who we found. Let's see if it's you. Let's go. Yeah, I was kind of lying to you. I have no idea if there's an app called Stained Glass Me, but, but someone create that and give the proceeds to the church. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? Do that. Someone do that. So, so the idea is as we allow, and this is a work of the Holy Spirit, to, to form and shape the lost image, how, what we've diminished in our hearts and souls because of our sin and rebellion. We look more like Jesus because he lived perfectly the image of God. He lived perfectly as a human being made a little bit lower than the angels. He lived those divine attributes and activities you understand? Is that making sense? When we sin, it's like the stained glass window is broken and shattered. And the Spirit of God wants to come, it's the kingdom within, and begin to glue the pieces of the stained glass window back together. Christ is being formed in you. The story I'll leave you with, I had a few uh, uh, when I was in seminary, I was part of a church in Southern California and we had this uh, church and this little steeple and there were stained glass windows they, they weren't that big they were they were smaller but they were at the top 
And this was before my time there, from 96 to 2000. Um, someone was taking rocks, and even though it was really high, they were hitting and hitting the stained glass windows, and they had broken out many of them. So the church would get them repaired, and then lo and behold, a couple days or weeks later, rocks again throwing in the stone uh, the stained glass windows. So my, uh, my pastor, he's the lead pastor now, but when he was an intern there, they were determined to find the, the culprit. So they fixed the stained glass window, and then he and a couple other guys camped out in the sanctuary. And sure enough, they heard some broken glass, right? So they got up. It was late at night. They ran out, and they saw these teenagers And they start running, and these guys run, and they caught them. And then they beat the... No, I'm just kidding. They didn't. I actually don't remember what they did. It's not really important for the story. All right? I'm sure they were kind and loving, and don't do this again. Do you know Jesus? That would be like them, right? So, So anyways, they catch them. But the point is, is so often, you and I are throwing rocks at our own stained glass window. And we're sinning. Whether it's pride, or lust, or jealousy, or gossip. We're having a field day. Sometimes it's not us. Sometimes it's the world. It's other things that people do at us. And they hurt us, and they abuse us. And we feel less human. And Paul is saying, until Christ is formed, do you realize the life you've been given? This beautiful life. Would you, and really now I read that text as an invitation, it was an invitation to the original readers, the Galatians, would you join me, would you try and allow, would you cooperate with the work of the Spirit to form you and give you the life that you lost, that you gave up? And I would say, I would say today, he's saying that to you and me, would, would you be in pain until... Christ is formed in you. To you, you live the life you've been called to live. Let me put it in, in contemporary terms. These aren't all bad, but I, but I think we need to hear them, adjust them. You hear the phrase, my best life, I'm living my best life, right? Some of you use that. that that's not horrible. How about this one? I wanted to live the best version of myself. Yes, have you heard that one? Yeah, I'm fine with that if you allow Jesus to determine what your best life is. I'm fine with that if you allow Jesus to form and shape the best version of you. Yes? Now we're gonna, the whole series is going to be wrestling deeply with how do we cooperate 
with the process because we have a role to play in this. It's not all the spirit of God as, as usual that, that we, can, we can join him in that internal work, that work of the kingdom. Of course, it's going to be looking to Jesus, a continual focus on Jesus, and then a, a turning towards and a turning away of some things. Last uh, scripture on your outline is this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Sounds a little bit like Daniel's advice to King Nebuchadnezzar. Repent. Stop your wicked ways. Be kind to the oppressed. Be more human. More fully alive. And he, let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. He doesn't want to condemn He wants to grow your soul. He wants to renew you. He doesn't want you to be less human. He wants you to be fully alive. But it's a process. I want to invite the worship team forward. Would the prayer team come forward too? Does our prayer team have anointing with oil? Yes. Yes, we have some. just want to invite you as we sing and respond in worship. This is really a divine activity, is it not? So Jesus redeems us. We are powerless to break the power of sin and rebellion in our lives. We are powerless to change the diminishment of our humanity on our own. It has to be Jesus. But when he died on the cross and was resurrected, for those who turn to him, he breaks that power of sin. He breaks that power of diminished humanity. And he fills you with his spirit to teach you what it means to have your best life in Christ, yes? To be the best version of you in Christ. So as we worship, if you feel led to be prayed for, just a fresh infilling of the Spirit, would you stand with me as we prepare to respond in worship? So, Lord, Lord, teach us what it means to be fully alive, Lord. Teach us what it means to be image bearers. Teach us what it means to allow you, Jesus, to be formed in us.
Lord, help us to yearn for it. Help us to be in pain. Even the pain of of childbearing, even though many of us, especially men, don't know what that is, Lord, but help us to yearn for that work in our lives. Help us to desire that for one another. We declare, Lord, we need your help. We need your focus. We need your work. Amen.